0: Let's see, Valentine's Day is coming up. That would be perfect. This weekend, one of the worst cruise line accidents since the Titanic took place uh, in the Mediterranean, not in terms of loss of life, fortunately, but in terms of the loss of the vessel. It ran aground in the middle of the night, flipped on its side. People were screaming. Plates were breaking. Uh, in the dark, they were crawling on half wall, half ceiling, finding their way down dark hallways, handing their babies to people they never made because they didn't think they that they had never met because they thought they themselves wouldn't survive, groping in the darkness, screaming, struggling for life, the tragedy that took place this weekend parallels a tragedy that has taken place in our lifetime. In our lifetime, we have seen courtship, marriage, human sexuality run aground. It's flipped on its side. It's left people screaming in the dark, struggling down dark hallways, handing their babies to people they'd never met, Just trying to make it. It's left behind tragedy after tragedy after tragedy through sexual brokenness, broken hearts, broken lives, broken people. Brothers and sisters, we need help. We need answers. We need rescuing. And that's why today we come to the incredible book of Song of Solomon. It's the last of the poets. Five books of poetry, it's almost right in the middle of your Bible. If you open, you'll probably open the middle to Psalms, keep moving. The final of the five books of poetry is the book of the Song of Songs. Next week, by the way, we begin the prophets. It's the final Old Testament section. There are 12 prophets, and we're going to be uh, looking at uh, those and uh, taking them one at a time. We're saving Isaiah until Easter Sunday, so next Sunday will be the book of Jeremiah. But this morning, this Song of Solomon. If you've never realized that the Bible contains an intensely passionate love story about a breathtakingly beautiful woman who falls for an extravagantly wealthy man. And they verbally express their admiration for every square inch of each other's bodies. You're probably not alone. But it does. It's the book of the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Hollywood or Shakespeare have nothing on this book. Romeo and Juliet or You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle or even Your Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do not compare with what this book contains. You want a love story? Potent, brimming over, drooling, full of estrogen and testosterone. This is what I'm talking about. The song of songs. You're in the right place. Powerful. It really works around two people the more obvious is solomon the king the wealthy man and the one he falls for the shunamite woman perhaps north african dark skinned she was in the workforce perhaps even a part of the cultural slave-owner relationship in Solomon's vast domain. She and her family were all the low labor force, but she was stuck with the low of the low. She's clearly a Cinderella in every sense of the word. The despised in her family and in the society but beautiful, and even more beautiful inside than outside. If you've tried to read this book, you may get bogged down in who's talking to who. It's helpful to read with a Bible that gives you little clues that's not really in the the actual Bible, but it's written on there to help understand who's talking at the time. Otherwise, you'll get lost. And the only other party that is included... Are the Shunammite womans, this beautiful woman 's friends, perhaps the harem or her bridesmaids, who basically don 't do anything other than oh that 's good that 's good, oh yeah, yeah, we all approve it 's kind of the cheering section, egging them on, oh, go for it, oh, this is good, oh oh, oh, tell us more, tell us more that 's about all they do it 's kind of a, the the choral group striking up the band, oh. Cheering. That's all you've got. is her trusted friends who are the cheering section. And then you've got this playful dance going on between the woman and the man. The king and the hired servant. The breathtakingly beautiful lady. And the extravagantly wealthy man that's the book and unusually as descriptive as it is it does not culminate it leads right up to marriage but it doesn't quite enter in just when you think oh they're going to get married they talk about it and then at the end they're still she's still summoning him so it ends where it began and that's what makes it so potent is it's all about the eager desire for the union that doesn't quite yet happen, but it's so exciting to talk about. It's the song of songs. As detailed as it is, I've read it multiple, multiple, multiple times and I have not found the crescendo. But it does drip with Estrogen and testosterone. Capish? Let's just take a look. Chapter one. The first voice we hear is the voice of this knockout, this shunamite. And the first words are you ready? Let him kiss me. With the kisses of his mouth. Yikes. This is the Bible, right? I mean, that's the first words. And the text would show that they don't even know each other yet. And she's tripping. She's drooling on herself. Already thinking about what is locking lips with this guy is going to be like. By chapter 2, we hear him respond, verse 2, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. So now he takes note of her. Chapter three, it begins to intensify this dance of admiring and and uh, growing in affection and passion and desire for each other. All night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. You see, it's all this 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 fantasy in their minds, but they're reaching for something that isn't quite theirs yet. Chapter 4, he responds. And this is where we really start hitting our stride. Notice the flow of the physical anatomy. How beautiful are you, my darling? Now this is this is this extravagantly wealthy guy responding to this gal. Oh, how beautiful. Starting with the eyes. That's good. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. I tried that one on Sherry and it didn't work. <laughs> but but it's, it's the picture. If you've ever seen the white long-haired sheep of the Middle East, they've got long hair and as they, as they run, it's kind of a wavy, you know, it, it's, that's the picture. I think. <laughs> Maybe not. Then the teeth the teeth don't do much better. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. This was before the white strips, I presume. But but he, he gets better. Each has its twin. That's good so it's symmetrical here. They're symmetrical. They they've each got a counterpart. Um so each has its twin, and, and not one of them is missing. That's good. She, she doesn't have a gaping hole in her mouth. Apparently, the women back then had problems with their, their teeth. But not this girl. She's got a full mouth of, of healthy, rounded, symmetrical-shaped teeth. Okay? Oh, but, but if you're going to ch- focus in on, on the teeth, you can't miss the lips. Oh, the lips. The lips are like scarlet ribbons. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples—I am not sure I've ever admired my wife's temples. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of pomegranates. Okay, so the, now a pomegranate is a fruit that is full of seeds. It's it's a it's a fruit a picture of potency. They're just, he's just seeing this potency in this woman. Oh, she's hot. She is magnetically charged. Her temples. Your neck. Okay, now we're moving down from the face. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance, hanging with a thousand shields, all the shields of warriors. And then your two breasts. Why is it guys have to go to the breasts? It's just going to happen. If we're going to be straight about this. Your two breasts are like two fawns. Like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Okay, now maybe we ought to stop there. But But it does ramp up. We're just getting rolling. Not to be left out. The beloved, the woman now, Responds, chapter 5, verse 10. My lover is radiant and ruddy. I can smell his masculinity. Outstanding among 10,000. His head of purest gold. His hair is wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, uh, mounting, uh, mount, mounted with jewel. His cheeks are like beds of spices yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are like rods of gold set in chrysolite. His body like a polished ivory decorated with sapphires. His legs, oh, legs, like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then she goes from the legs back to the mouth. His mouth! Oh, his mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. Now, we're not quite as hot as it gets yet. Just go to chapter seven. The gal now responds. How beautiful! Your sandaled Oh no, I'm sorry. This is the the man now responding. That the former was the woman. Now the man responds and he starts at at the legs this time. This is beyond the face down to the breast. Now he's going in the other direction. Your graceful legs are like jewels. Your navel. Yikes. Your navel like a round goblet. She must add a little fat on her to make a goblet. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Help the boy. I told you to pray for me, now come on. Your waist, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns. He couldn't get that word picture. It was something about a fawn. He maybe played with fawns when he was a kid or something, but he, he, he knew, he knew fawns. They, we, they weren't strangers. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon. Your nose like the tower of Lebanon. Your head is <laughs> crowned like Mount Carmel. I have no idea. I was on Mount Carmel seven months ago. I have no idea. I have, I don't even, I don't even want to know. Your hair is like royal tapestry. And then verse seven, he gets back to the breasts again. Now they're a cluster of fruit. And then he says, I'll climb the palm tree. I'll take hold of its fruit. Yikes. Hey, he's a guy. He's a guy. This is in the Bible. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells it straight. Doesn't mask it behind a bunch of religious paraphernalia. This is a healthy man and a healthy woman. Anybody going to disagree with that? Somebody's getting a phone call because he was texting. He says, you're not going to believe what this pastor saying. He says... <laughs> Just, just put me on speakerphone. Let me hear what's going on here. That's, that's what's going on. I can, I can, I can tell that. But so that you don't miss it. Believe it or not, we haven't gotten to the important stuff yet. This is, we're working our way in. But this is not as good as the book gets. Because by the time we get to chapter eight, the final chapter, we find something very interesting. Here the woman, the Shunammite, says, hey, I want a commitment. Where's the ring? You want me? Give me the ring. That is the punchline of the Song of Solomon. Watch this. Now three times in this book, the woman says, it's always the woman, the same thing that she says here in chapter eight, verse four, the end of it, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I'm not gonna get in bed with you until you marry me is what she's saying. Isn't that awesome? Three times. Chapter 8, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says it over and over and over again. As good as it seems, as right as our relationship feels, I am not going to have sex with you even though you're the king and I'm nothing. I'm not going to give in to you until you make a commitment. And then she says, chapter 8, verse 6, she wants a seal. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. The word seal in the Hebrew culture called for a commitment always. A seal is what you put on a legal document. I want this thing legal. I want the commitment. I refuse to be another one night stand. I'm not gonna be just another gal in your harem. You've had too much of that, Solomon. I want a commitment. I want a seal. If, if I'm a seal, then this thing will go forward as much as I long for you. As much as every cell in my body longs to have a sexual union with you, I'm not going there until you make a commitment. Put a seal on it, and then we can move forward. That is powerful. Lord have mercy. No, this book talks about a marriage covenant. Chapter 3, verse 11. It says, on the wedding day. It talks about the wedding day. It all builds up to it, but it builds up and then it kind of tapers down right where it started. And you know the amazing thing in the book of the Song of Solomon? Solomon is not the hero of the story. The woman is. And I can prove that to you. First of all, by history we know that there's perhaps no one who's ever lived that has done more to destroy moral values than Solomon. Solomon at this point, it says in this book that at this point, Solomon had for himself 60 wives and 80 mistresses. By the time he was done, he had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. He is hardly your poster child for moral purity. But this woman is. She said, no. Get your business out of here until you're ready to make a commitment. That's powerful. What a gal. And I'll prove it to you again. She had the first word. Who was it who said Who sang the first song of the Song of Solomon? It's the woman. And who has the final word? You go to the end of chapter 8. It's the woman. Now you're laughing because the woman always says the final word. I know that. (laughs) But it didn't have to be this way. It's written to say it's the woman who did it right in this case. And sir... Don't you be such a male twisted egotist that you can't learn from a woman today. Because there's a whole lot that Song of Solomon is going to take us to school on. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that of everything in the Bible, there are certain things that are said more clearly and more in terms we can understand in the Song of Solomon, certain principles, than we can learn anywhere else. Let me just give you a few of them. And they're in your notes under Live This Book. Number one, God created the physical universe, including the human body. And when he did, he said, it is good. It is very good. What that tells you, in case you didn't realize it, is, now watch this. Watch this. This is so important. Some of us as Christians have a weird view of the human body. It's like, you know, um, we know it's been so corrupt that we're almost afraid to get in bed with our wives. And it's like, you know. We're almost ashamed. We've got all this guilt maybe from our past that's still hanging around. And we hear these voices of guilt and shame and, and all this stuff that we're afraid to redeem what God created and said was good. In fact, here's the deal. Most people on earth have one of two problems when it comes to the human body and human sexuality. On the one hand, they obsess. They completely obsess. They obsess over their appearance. They obsess over their sexuality. They plunge into it as if it's the highest good. That's not biblical. But the other problem is equally bad. It's when we don't obsess, we abhor. We hate the body. We hate our sexuality. We hate anything to do with it. No, when God created the human body, He said it was good. And the Song of Solomon would not be in the canon of Scripture if the body was not good. The second thing we learn here is that when God created the human body, He created us male and female, not just to procreate, but to enjoy the process. Are you with me on that? Some of you guys are saying, oh yeah. Oh, 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 oh. It ought to. This isn't wishful thinking. You know, just as the, bo- the appetite of eating was made pleasurable. I love talking about food when I'm fasting. Praise God. But you know, God didn't have to give us taste buds. Now, food is fuel, but there's a difference between a human being and a car. When you gas up a car and when you eat yourself, what's the difference? The difference is taste buds. That car doesn't taste anything I put in it. It's a good thing. Doesn't taste good, right? But when I eat, it, I taste it. You're following me? He made us with taste buds to enjoy the pleasure of eating. And He made every woman He ever created with the potential, the ability to enjoy the sensory touch of physical love. And He made every man capable of enjoying the process as well. The fact of the matter is, hear it, sex is not a dirty word, it is a holy word. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, He died to redeem us, spirit, soul, and body. The exchanging of romantic love is so potent, so powerful, so beautiful, so virtuous, so tender, so righteous that it is protected always within the confines, the walls, the thick walls of marriage. And only ever for one man and one woman. That's the protection. That God so elevates this. He's not ashamed of it, He redeemed it. To redeem and heal us of all of our sexual brokenness. Whether we were abused as a child or we slept around before marriage or we had an extramarital whatever. We had a homosexual whatever. A heterosexual whatever. Outside of marriage. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to redeem it, to forgive it, to take away the guilt and the shame, to take our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west, and to give us a new beginning that we can move forward. Now I want to tell you, the song of Solomon is needed more today than ever before. Sex trafficking has got to end. The Lord told me, you stand up in front of your people today and said, enough is enough. We're not going to put up with this anymore. We need to adopt that as a no more intercession, a point of prayer. We've got to end this beastly activity. We can't be responsible for what goes on in Bangkok, but we can be responsible for what goes on in our community. There are millions around the world that are trafficked. There are hundreds of thousands, or more, in America. But they know of at least 400 a year in the streets of Atlanta, and it needs to end. USA Today did an article this week on a gal. She's 28 years old. She's married. She's a mother of three children. But when she was 16, she was sold on the streets of Atlanta into the sex trade to a preacher. She said the worst thing about it is everybody was normal. It was a preacher, a lawyer, and a senator who owned her. Did horrible things. She said you would not believe. Somehow she got out. We need more stories like that. No, for too long. Human sexuality, I'm in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. That means like, you know, if if I'm a guy, it doesn't matter if I'm with a guy or whatever, I'm in a relationship. That's like being in a cruise liner that's run amok and you're falling on your side and you're in the middle of the dark at night screaming and plates are falling and babies are being swapped and you're crying out, help me! I'm in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. Jesus didn't die and be raised from the dead to put you in a relationship. We don't need a relationship. The only way love is ever to be exchanged on a physical level is not before you get married. It's not outside of marriage. It's not if you're a man with another man. It's not with an animal. It's not with yourself. It's only to be enjoyed. And I mean enjoyed. In marriage. The walls of protection. And men, I just got to say this. Men, hear me. The Lord told me to say to every man here, Guys, we need to cherish our wives. We need to cherish our wives. Cherish our wives. Cherish. And if there's anything going on that isn't cherishing, it needs to end. They're not just a sex partner, they're not just a house cleaner, they're not just another source of income so we can afford to live. Cherish. Cherish. No, and when it's all said and done, this song. This song that brims over with passionate. Potency, Righteous love within the strong walls of marriage between one gorgeous woman and one wealthy guy. It's a picture. You see, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he said, wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then he quotes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. And he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he says, I am telling you a profound mystery for this refers to Christ and the church. It's a picture. The purity of the Shunammite beautiful woman of the Song of Solomon is a picture of the integrity that God wants in His church. The singular devotion. Just as she was a one-man woman, righteously saving herself for the one and not crossing the line morally until He gave her a ring to make the commitment. So she represents for us our role before Christ as we look forward to His return. God wants us pure and spotless. He wants us people of integrity, of moral strength. Righteous. Pure. Undefiled. Clothed with the deeds of righteousness. Saying no to those illicit pleasures that are not ours because we belong to one Who has redeemed us? Saving ourselves for one person and for single people saving themselves for that day when they too will meet the Lord. It's true. It's the message of this powerful book that our culture is in such desperate need of. And we brothers and sisters, We don't need to look at those who would dare cross the line into sex trafficking. God wants us to look in the mirror. There's a call for every one of us this morning. To be pure. To be holy. To glorify Christ in whatever category we are in today. Young people. Children. single separated, divorced. Whatever you find yourself in that station of life, there's application for you. Father, won't you clarify for us the appropriate response this morning? What you're saying here. Lord, this has cut my heart deeply all week as I've Allowed your word to penetrate my own soul and search me. Jesus, you said, you have heard, of course, that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh no, Lord, you don't want us to just be outwardly righteous. You want us inwardly pure. You want to take out the old, dirty, stony heart and put within us a heart of flesh that is clean and and works well. Like the Shunammite woman who was beautiful on the outside, but even more beautiful on the inside. You want us to be externally righteous, but even more importantly, internally righteous. So work that in us. Because you are Mighty to save. You are mighty to save. You save to the uttermost. You don't hand us a law and a standard without giving us the power to do it. This is not wishful thinking here. We're not being holier than thou. We're not condemning others. Lord, we're standing before you asking your help. To write your law on our hearts. And to heal those hearts.